0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit audio bandwidth for security now is provided by aol music and spinner.com where you can get free mp3s exclusive interviews and more video bandwidth for security now is provided by cashfly at c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 251 for June 2nd, 2010. Q&A number 93. Security Now is brought to you by audible.com. To download a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com/securitynow. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security, your privacy, keeping you safe online. And, boy, nowadays, there could be no better time to do that. With us, our great friend and security guru, Steve Gibson from GRC.com. He's the man who discovered the first spyware, coined the term even, and then wrote the first anti-spyware program. His Shields Up is used by millions. Hey, Steve. (laughs) That's your new slogan. Used by millions. Hey, Steve. How are you today? great Great i should start saying the creator of the
1: dog what was it the ultrasonic dog killer the portable dog (laughs) killer that might put a few people off and you wonder when why the sponsors had wandered off Uh,
0: only those who know know how wonderful that is and i had somebody come up to me yesterday uh said i you know a little behind on security now and she said that episode was so inspiring so exciting
1: you know it's often parents who tell me that because they and that's I was just gonna say as soon as you were through with your thought that I've heard from so many parents who have said they made their kids listen to it, yep. and it really got through to them, yep because you know
0: uh, and you know now she apologized she said it was fun crunch it was uh, Julie out at the uh at the laser tag we did on Monday oh. she said, um oh, but I'm only a programmer i only do I don't do physical things. I said, you know what me too." I don't think Steve was saying it has to be building physical things. I mean, in fact, that's really cool, and I admire people who do that. But making anything, creating anything, a sonata, a computer program... Very good point. ...or a portable dog killer, that it's the, the, the act of creation is the point. Yes. Uh, yes. And just get kids from, to turn them from consumers to creators.
1: That's, yes. that I think that's a, an absolutely correct generalization of yeah. that notion.
0: Well, it was very inspiring. But that was episode 91... Or ninety. We are now up to ninety. No, no. I'm sorry. Ninety. No, that, what that am I talking 248. about? 248. Two forty-eight. We're now up to 251, two fifty-one. Yes. And we are back on track for Q and A number ninety-three. That's what I was thinking of.
1: Yep. We've got q and A. A uh, bunch of interesting things. I have a a new section of we've that we've never done before. That I was inspired by a long note from someone that was important. So it's a notes from the field. Little insert that uh, that I will uh, and I want to share with our listeners before we get into the Q and A, and of course we've got our regular top of the show stuff. But bizarrely enough, not a single security update. Not what? Not one. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Is the, the strange... world secure? Have we secured yeah.
0: everything? Are we ready? Are we done?
1: Well, and and it's funny because that comes on the the news that <laughs> that. Adobe is reconsidering their quarterly update schedule. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you may remember that when they announced that they were going to be doing quarterly updates, after I was through laughing, I said, "Well, we'll see how long that lasts." Yeah. And of course, they began then doing emergency updates all throughout the uh, the the mid quarter, and they finally decided that they're going to synchronize with Microsoft's second Tuesday of the month. So, uh, so much for Adobe's quarterly update. That's not going to be happening. It looks like they're going to go to standard monthly updates, and even that may not be enough. Based I was on it. Uh, even when when Microsoft went monthly, I thought, "But well, this seems like a bad idea." But they've they've done all right with the monthly updates. I guess it confuses people, and it's hard for business when you have to often. I think that often. yeah, the the problem is, and you know, we understand why there's this aggregation of updates is that 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 it's purely for the enterprise users who right. who have who need to calendar this event because it's what it is they need to get them they need to make sure that the, the microsoft updates don't mess things up and we also know that mean you know, against some people's better judgment enterprise users are often delaying the this update cycle to wait to see if anything bad happens. Because there have been instances where Microsoft's changes have broken things. And so, I mean, not just enterprise-specific things, but but things in general. So anyway, I mean, it brings some discipline to it. It's uh, certainly nice for us, um, although then we get these weird weeks where, you know, we didn't have anything. However, there was lots of other security news. Um, One probably uh, high-visibility New hack is extremely clever. It was uh it was essentially invented by the 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 creative lead for Mozilla Firefox, a guy named uh uh Aza Raskin. Oh yeah, I know Aza. Yeah, he's great. Uh, well and, he's weird. <laughs> he's yes. he's a character, let's put it that way. Well and 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 when you hear this, you're gonna know why. Yeah. Um he realized that there was a a fundamental weakness in the in the multiple-tabbed model of browsing. Because script running on a page could tell when that page had lost focus to another page. That is, when it had been covered up when another tab was chosen. And the script running, you know, JavaScript running on the page could, after a little bit of a delay so it wouldn't get noticed could change its tab name and itself to look like a, a, some random other site, and not necessarily random, because it's possible for the script to use CSS tricks that we've talked about in the past to figure out what sites this particular user goes to. So the script could know that this is a Facebook user, Citibank, Twitter, Gmail, whatever. And when the tab is not being displayed, change itself to the login page for that particular facility that the user uses. and Or like saying you've got new mail on the tab or whatever. The point being that then the user sort of like notices the tab or just thinks he's got Gmail open, clicks that, for example... And he's, he's at the Gmail screen that might say, like, your session has timed out. Please log in again. So it is a very clever new type of phishing hack where, which, which would probably catch a lot of people. I mean, it would, I think it would catch me if I wasn't really paying attention because I'd think, oh, okay. And I would type my credentials into this login page, which of course is not Gmail it's it, it it's a some other site that is using script to masquerade and so that's the nature it's called tab nabbing how close is this
0: have you seen the the like nabbing it, which is i guess kind of like click uh that that click um hijacking thing where people are getting the facebook like and and using it, it it's clickjacking really it's the same thing as clickjacking so this isn't exactly clickjacking
1: Right, I've run across the Facebook like issue and and haven't had a chance to track it down yet. Yeah. Um. And 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 um. So Asa made a blog posting, talked about it. If this sort of like you know everyone sent me links saying, oh, have you seen the about tab napping? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about it today. Anyway, that's what it is. So it's. I mean, it's not. It's not horrible, but it it. Again, again, it requires scripting, which we understand is a mixed blessing. And, and I think the overall, the lesson we're seeing here, I mean, this is an unatt- unintended consequence of scripting, which is not an abuse of scripting that, well, <laughs> I guess it's an abuse of scripting, but it, it's not a, it's not taking advantage of a scripting flaw. It's a it, taking advantage of scripting features and the, the, nature of what happens if you have multiple tabs and how you can sort of leverage that. And what it says is that, you know, yes, scripting is a problem, but we also know scripting is with us for the long run. You know, when when Jobs is prancing around talking about HTML 5 being the future, he's talking about inherently scripting and new root features in HTML 5 you know, being an alternative, for example, to, to, to Flash, which he's arguing against lately. So so there isn't, there there is no way, as, as you remind us, Leo, that we're going to unfortunately get away from scripting. I, I say unfortunately because it scares me so much. But, but what it means is that the sites you go to, you need to trust with running code in your browser. And this is an example of, you know, yet another example, a clever I think new idea for how scripting can get you in trouble if you went to a site that wanted to take advantage of the fact that you were trusting it with scripting on your browser mm. not to, not requiring anything to be broken just oops you know scripting can do that is this does this work on all browsers or is it um yes this is it's a uh, you might need Different scripting, you know, like browser-specific right. code in in the scripting. So, um, uh, but you could certainly adapt it so that it would run, you know, in different browsers. The, the 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 JavaScript has the fundamental common set of hooks that allows it to do this on any browser platform. Um, also, in the news, we have the continuing Google Wi-Fi inadvertent spying. Update of the week, because this is now a weekly uh, mention. Now they've been class action sued by multiple ISPs, in addition to the two people we talked about last week who filed the first class action suit. Now there's a couple different ISPs that are suing on behalf of their own customers. And the USFTC, the Federal Trade Commission, has formally asked Google to freeze all data and documents to the, pertaining to this to prevent their destruction for any of the 33 different countries where Google collected data over the last three years that it was doing this, um, Google had already destroyed data by uh, under the request from Denmark, Ireland, and Austria. So that data has is gone, um, and presumably it will comply now with the FTC's request. Not to do any more destruction. I don't know what Google would do if a country explicitly asked it to destroy its own data. I imagine it would. Yeah. It to me that would be the thing to do. Yeah.
0: You got to adhere to the country's laws wherever you I are. I think
1: so. Yeah. And in a really interesting little bit of news, Symantec, Symantec security guys discovered a massive stockpile of 44 million gaming login credentials um they've discovered a central re- <laughs> a central repository that, get, get that's got to be everybody i mean how many, how many are there it's a this is amazingly <laughs> sophisticated so there's the, it's a flat file database 17 gig of data 44 million login credentials and there is a Trojan that goes along with this called login check. It's called Login loginck. That's spread around many different c- computers as you know, like a, a Trojan network. And it what it does is continually refine and filter and validate, this 44 million login credential database. So these Trojans are scattered in a network across the internet. They're, and this is how Symantec tracked this down, they're checking back in with a database, pulling out gaming login credentials from the database, and using those to log in to gaming servers to verify the credentials' current Validity and also checking, for example, the level of the game that this person is at and what assets they've accumulated. All of this is then built back into the database. This is time stamped in order to say this credential has been checked on this day. And these credentials are then sold for anywhere between $6 and are you sitting down? Yeah. $28,000. What? Depending upon the gaming the gaming value that has been oh, so verified. if it's like
0: a level 70 in World of Warcraft, exact. That's worth some bucks. But to exactly. whom? I want to know who's paying 20 grand to be a level 70 warrior on World of
1: Warcraft. Well, to steal somebody else's. <laughs> somebody else's level else 7. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I just thought this okay, this is just Strange, but true. I really think that this actually underscores something that's cultural, which is that there is increasingly we're seeing there is actual value to the virtual to virtual goods.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And in fact, I mean, we've seen instances where people were selling their virtual good, you know, the ones they actually legitimately owned. They were selling them on eBay. Right. Alex C says he would pay 20 grand for a level
0: 80 in tier 10 with a legendary. I don't know what that is, but wow. Wow. I,
1: I don't have any.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, the truth is it probably does represent a huge amount of money because to get to those levels requires grinding for hundreds of hours. So it's probably worth five bucks an hour, really,
1: because <laughs> it's such a lot of work to get there. And Mark Thompson, who follows this industry, has told me that there are people who build up these, these entities, whatever you call them, uh and then sell them. Yep. And then start over. Yeah. It's gold farming, like, or uh, it's it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So they like they grow a persona in a in a gaming in, in a virtual gaming environment, making it very valuable. And and of course they acquire the skill to do that. Then they sell them to people who don't have the skill themselves, but they've got the money. Our and, friend
0: uh, Corey Doctorow has written uh, a, a new uh, novel about that FTW that's the whole pr- the whole point premise of the uh, sci-fi novel It's a juvenile. it's a, it looks to be a great book i can't say i've read it yet but i can't wait to read it
1: so um a little bit of news uh, from me i have two new blog postings <laughs> man you're going crazy over at steve.grc.com awesome
0: steve that's great the first
1: one uh, is t- is titled the obvious genius of ipad and I then saw the subtitle that, yeah. And the subtitle is "Thank goodness Apple can't patent what it got right," because you know we're already seeing a
0: slew of clones being announced 40, running Android.
1: Forty pads. Wow, are are being tracked by some companies yeah. that are that are in the works. I, I think that's very good news. I'm I do excited too about it. And, and in fact, what I want the reason I did the, what I, the reason I did the posting was I wanted to. Just get on the record my position, which is, I mean, now I know this Paul. I, I've read everything that that, that that Paul has written, and I wanted to explain that that it's the form factor that I mean, like what it is. What are the things that Apple got right? I think it's it was entertaining to watch all of the industry poo pooing the notion of the I you know beforehand of Apple doing a tablet because the industry felt that it knew better that tra- tablets had tried and and failed you know famously for years and here apple comes along and i'm sure you saw the news leo that they've sold 2 million within you know in less than 2 months essentially so the, their their original 28 days for the first million they have continued that that wasn't just a a burst in, initially and i have to say as i've been out and about with mine you know, I mean, I'm an early adopter of technology. I am I carried my Kindle around for a couple of years. Nothing. I've never seen anything like the lust that people have for this thing. And partly, you know, Paul's, Paul made the point that it was sort of a, a high-end luxury item, that people like to be seen with it or like mm, to yeah. wave it around or show it off. For me, that's not it at all. I mean, no, I, I recognize no. maybe there are some people that were like that with the iPhone and, and, the, and you know, initially – um. For me, it's that it's, it is absolutely functional. It is, you know, it's the, the, the all day battery life yeah. and the, the, the immediate on, you know, turn it on. There it is. And it's connected. And I mean, it just, for me, it's serving a function and it's so functional that, you know, I'm just really pleased with it. In fact, and this is a little controversial. Yesterday I split my personal Twitter account from. I had, of course, SGGRC. I created SG Pad because I wanted the freedom of tweeting as to my heart's content about Pad stuff without bothering people who really didn't care to receive all of that. That's that's really smart. I think that's a really good idea. And it, it's been it's been met with some resistance. People have said. Wait a minute. That's not the way Twitter works. It is exactly the way Twitter works. Why isn't that the way Twitter works? Well, my logic was that it's ex- that it, from an economic standpoint, it's extremely low cost to to follow somebody. Exactly. I mean, thus people follow thousands of people. Fo- my my rule was always follow easily and unfollow even more easily. Right. Yep. And so and and so my feeling was Twitter makes it so easy to follow. Yep. That I yet at the same time, if people are getting a bunch of stuff they don't want, then they're being forced to always filter it right so or unfollow you or or unfollow, which so which is kind my, of a broad brush if they like some of your stuff, right, and so my feeling was I'm willing to accept the responsibility of creating some channels and allowing people to choose which channels they want to follow and and since Twitter is an aggregator, essentially, it's and it's so easy to follow somebody, if they want all of my stuff, they just follow my channels. And and, you know, and I'll divide them up and rather than requiring that they filter from a single channel. So um, I have had some people who thought it was a great idea and said, hey, you know, that's sort of more like the newsgroup model, which I guess is the way I'm, I've been thinking about it. So, no,
0: I anyway. think you're exactly right. Uh, we have a Twit channel, a Twit Live channel. I have a personal channel. Uh, and, and, and I think it makes sense. In fact, I, I think it's a very, because people can
1: follow all of your channels, it's easy, it's trivial. And then it all comes into one place right. for them. And, and they, they don't even have to pay attention to exactly. you know, which of my channels it, it's coming in on. I think
0: that – no, I think you grokked it. I think you have the exact uh, right idea. In fact, I think you've done something that a lot of veteran Twitter users haven't quite understood. There's a whole variety of content in any given feed, some of which you may like and may not like. And that's the real problem with with Twitter is there's really no good way to filter. It's interesting because some of the more advanced third-party clients – now include the ability to filter, so I could say I only want to. I don't want to see any the, where it comes up is conventions. Uh, e three is coming up, and there'll be a. You'll see in Twitter, you'll start to see a slew of E three related gaming news from all the people you follow. Ah. If you could say I, and everything except if it says E three, I don't want to see it. Nice. It, exactly. So
1: you're doing that by hand, basically. Well, I'm glad, and um, my, my, I have to say that my my favorite critique. Showed up shortly after I announced that I was that I was splitting my my feed from a guy named Chad in Baton Rouge. He he's, he, he he sent back quote I split my accounts for posts that start with or without prepositions. <laughs> <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's joking, of course. Of course, he was joking. Yeah. Anyway, I got a kick out of that. So, so now you have that.
0: SGGRC for your
1: full feed. For, I, for pad, not iPad, but pad-specific stuff, SG pad. Yes, and that's an important distinction I wanted to also make is that I'm, I'm bullish about the pad form factor. You know, Apple, I give them absolute credit for having shown the world how to do a pad. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately for Apple, fortunately for the rest of us, um, there isn't anything that they've done that everybody else can't do. Or maybe there is. Um, one of the things I was commenting to my friend, uh, uh, we, we were driving in Southern California a couple of weeks ago, and a f- beautiful Ferrari passed by. And, and this is a thought that I've had for a long time. I look at this car and I think, my God, that's just gorgeous. Why don't other cars look like that? Mm. I mean, they could. There's nothing. There's nothing, you know, difficult about bending the metal. In the way that Ferrari somehow magically manages to do, but somehow, even though, you know, Detroit, for example, tries to hire, I assume, really good designers, they don't produce cars that look like Ferraris. They, they have, they like sort of do me too sort of things that never quite make it. And so, and of course, this, this, I, I wonder then if Apple might not have some of that same magic you know, will we see, you know, uh, pad alternatives to the Apple that we want in the same way that we want, you know, the iPad from Apple? And, and I don't know, but boy, it's going to be a really fun thing to watch happening. You know, I've been an iPad uh,
0: proponent since bef- since it was announced because uh, I immediately saw the value of it. But I have to say, I also see the value of open and I, and, and, mm-hmm. and Steve's closed attitude on the iPad irks me a little bit. So, I'm looking forward to Android-based, somewhat more open designs. And I suspect, you know, it's really about a, a multi-touch touch, the mobile form factor versus a desktop operating system. I think Android could do a good job.
1: I, we'll see. It'll oh, be I'm, very interesting. I'm hoping. So, yes, yeah, so so SGGRC is my regular feed. Got, I crossed the the 9,000 followers mark yesterday at some point. And, uh, and then SGPAD is the is the separate feed where I'm just going to be f- absolutely free to tweet about pad stuff. I mean, I'm carrying it with me all the time. I'm thinking about it. I'm experimenting with apps. Um, I found a pair that I like much better, for example, than Goodreader, which was the you know the PDF reader that got an early start on the iPad. Yeah. Um, I just don't like it as a PDF reader. Um, it has the advantage of allowing you to get stuff into it easily, but... But the combination of Downloader and iAnnotate, I like much better. Downloader is a fantastic downloader and viewer of stuff. And then you can use the open with to send it over to iAnnotate, which is just a feature rich, very nice PDF reader. So, you know, I want to be able to share that stuff without worrying that I'm bugging people that have no interest at all in list, you know, Mm -hmm. in, in, in pad stuff. So. I
0: kind of am tempted because a lot of the uh, newsreader software that I use has the capability to tweet uh, as you go. And, you know, right now I send it to delicious, but it, but some of these don't have delicious capability. And I'm thinking it might be nice to tweet, but I don't want to fill my stream with. So maybe I should have a Leo's feed. To, you, you're inspiring me, Steve. You're teaching me. You're, you're schooling me and how to do this.
1: So I'm glad well I, uh, done. I, want, I wanted to discuss it with you because it seemed like the right thing I to do. I think you're right, it's, yeah.
0: So... Giving look, it's never wrong to give people control. To right, be, you know that's never wrong.
1: Give them choice, and of course the, the 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 proof will be in how many fewer followers I have in the pad specific well yeah account than I have in in my general all purpose account. That's true. So, if you had the
0: same number in both, then it would be an indicator that people wanted everything, right? And everybody wanted everything, but we know that's not true. We offer as this is a good example. We offer. A Leo feed that is just the shows I'm on, as well as individual feeds. So this is on that the you know Leo, Radio Leo as well as, and we it's, we don't publicize it, but there's also a Twit Everything feed that people could get everything. But my feeling is it's very similar. People are going to build their own ass, assortment of podcasts based on collecting the. Feed. What's the trouble of subscribing to four shows? Then you have exactly what you want, right? And in fact, that does seem to be the case. The Radio Leo feed I think has thirty or forty thousand subscribers, but that's, those are pretty hardcore people. <laughs> Most people subscribe to the individual shows.
1: Well, and, and also remember that I have the non-personal Twitter account, Gibson Research. And that's only got about 5,000 people compared to SGGRC, my personal feed, that's got 9,000. Well, that's also a data point. It tells so you what it, people want on Twitter. Yes, it says that there are people who want GRC-related news only, period. And I want to respect that and and give them the choice. And I also think
0: that it shows that people want per personality and authenticity and they're less interested in, in in ads on their Twitter feed. They want to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. they want to hear what Steve says. It's a it's yeah. really a personal thing that and that's what I like about it. I want to hear what Steve thinks today.
1: And you probably just to just to make a note of this heard that AT&T has announced they're removing the ah uh-huh
0: <laughs> so let's 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 actually say this because uh it's very important you know this if you have already subscribed to the unlimited feed the 30 dollars a month feed on your ipad they say we'll see it'll be grandfather they say that will persist but no one will be able to get that anymore you will have to buy a 25 dollar a month two gigabyte capped uh, account that'll be the biggest account and you can add t- five gigabytes for 10 bucks uh, my, ex-
1: my experience was, because I, I thought, I'll, let me see how the $15 250 megabyte plan works. Well, I got my first warning notice after four days. Yeah, my father-in-law, who is 80, got his in a week. 250 <laughs> <250's laughs> is not a lot. And I wasn't downloading video no. or movies or any big stuff at all. No. The problem is that in our world, everything has gotten big. Yeah. I mean... You know, my, the, the first hard drive on my PC, my XT, was 10 megabytes. So 25 times that I used in four days, really not doing much, just sort of poking around. And I thought, well, okay, that that experiment told me something. <laughs> and so I immediately switched to the to the unlimited for 30 bucks. So um, I guess the only thing we can do to help our listeners is to say, hey, if for somehow you're surviving on a $15 plan and... Or, or like, you know, not surviving on it. You may want to jump to the thirty dollar plan to get yourself grandfathered in before that's gone forever. I Although, think it's too late. Oh, that's, uh, oh I think no it kidding. started
0: like at midnight. I think, Ooh. and I'm hoping, Ooh. I'm hoping, Papo. I hope you subscribed to the thirty dollar plan yesterday because I don't think you can get it today. I don't know though. So, oh, it starts well, Monday. I... Okay, they're telling me in the chat room it doesn't start till Monday. So now is now. Yay. now Yay. get it. And if you're hearing this on Monday, I'm sorry. You have till
1: June seventh. I do wonder if maybe two gig. They're saying that that only two percent of users are using more than two gig a month. Yeah, the two percent are all the people who own iPads, iPhones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think two gig is not much. In fact, if you watch, if you use our TwitPad application, oh, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. watch you're our doing shows, any big
1: media stuff, then you're going to have to stop.
0: To I mean, that. this is why I'm pissed. AT&T, basically, this was a complete... Well, it's a blindside. This was a, a... What do they call it? A loss leader? This was a tease. This was a lie, is what it was. Yeah, and it didn't last very long
1: for us to be told $30 unlimited. It was like, woohoo! I'm thinking
0: uh, that this this is... There's something going on behind the scenes. I think Uh ATT offered this special deal to keep Apple away from Verizon.
1: Well, and have you heard that Verizon apparently has CDMA iPads they're testing? I saw that. You know, rumors, Mm -hmm. we don't know. But I tell Uh, you, there was
0: something yesterday that happened that may be more than a rumor. Steve Jobs was speaking at uh, Walt Mossberg and Carrier Switcher's D8 conference. And they asked him, when's Verizon coming? And he visibly bit his lip. Hmm. Like he wanted to say something, but he didn't. And uh, I think I wouldn't be surprised if Monday, which happens to coincide with the day this is changing, Steve comes up on stage and announces Verizon iPhones or Verizon iPads or Verizon. At Bose. the
1: Worldwide Developers Conference. Yes.
0: Yep. I th- but now, that's no one knows, and those are all rumors, but I, at this point, it seems to me that the relationship between AT&T and Apple is, is if this didn't shatter it, I don't know what will. And uh, that's, <sighs> yeah. it's
1: time, Apple. Yeah, he can't have been happy with this. I mean, where where you keep hearing stories that people in San Francisco, New York can't can't use their phones.
0: Can't wait to get rid of AT and T. Yeah, amen. And you, and you just imagine what a Verizon iPad would be, or a Verizon
1: iPhone would be. Uh... Well, Verizon's my network. I mean, that there. Yeah. I left Singular because of the poor performance. Then AT and T bought Singular, right. and I was you know, and I moved my number, yanked my number away from Singular over to Verizon. I almost said it. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's a great number. I didn't, I didn't want to. Don't lose say it.
0: it out loud. I I dim, I don't remember it, but I. You know, you and John both have a a, a certain fetish for numbers, your phone numbers. I won't say any more.
1: Yeah, well, it's one. It, it, it's a thousand number, and those are not easy to come by. Three zeros on the end, so that is pretty good. That sounds
0: professional.
1: Um, I had a great. Neat note, speaking of your, your father-in-law, uh, from a grandmother. Uh, she, 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 the subject was YAT. Yet another testimonial uh, was her acronym for Spinwright. She said, my situation starts out slightly different than your typical spinright stories. I'm a 55-year-old grandmother. I have what my husband calls, I love this, a thriving not-for-profit computer business. I help family and friends and referrals with software and hardware problems, apparently for free. She says sometimes. Oh, she says sometimes I receive cash or a gift card Aww. or even the occasional pie. For my I do it because I love computers and it's my way of helping others. Isn't that awesome. I have not, and I love the fact that Kathy is going to be going to be hearing this. She says I have not missed an episode of Security Now, and have been waiting for the right time to buy Spinrite to support your work. Recently, my niece. Brought me her laptop that would not boot, that, oh, that, that would boot to a black screen with four choices. Each choice caused the machine to reboot. Yeah. I immediately knew two things. And, and Leo says, Yeah. 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 Been and there, so done that. <laughs> if, she, if she brought it in to the big box store where she purchased it, they would surely reformat it. Yeah. And before hearing about SpinRight, I would have spent hours trying things to no result. Spinwright took only four hours unattended to get this laptop up and running again. I was going to surprise my niece and back up her data. In my experience, the data from most regular people, non-geek types, can fit on one CD or certainly one DVD. This 60 gig hard drive had only 10 gigs of free space. I elected not to back up anything. She promised she would pick up an external drive on her way home. I'm pleased to add a YAT, yet another testimonial, for spin Right to the Universe. Thank you for a great product, and thanks also for Security Now. It is required listening for me, says Kathy uh, Zowski, Z-W-O-L-S-K-I, in Minneapolis. So thanks for sharing that, Kath.
0: Great story. Yeah. Hey, there's one other news story I, th- I just wanted to comment on. And yeah. uh, I-, I knew about this a little ahead of time because, as you know, uh, Colleen Kelly are uh, esteemed... VP Engineering left for Google a couple of weeks ago, and she oh, told yeah, me yeah. a couple of weeks ago that Google was not, you know, you get a computer when you join a company, and the oh, offer was...
1: Oh, 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 I know what the story is. Mac. And you're right. It, it is Linux. a topic for
0: this show. And no Windows. Now, mm-hmm. Google is... This is speculation from the press that Google's not doing it for security reasons. Google isn't really saying, uh, but apparently you'll have to go, you know, you have to
1: beg if you want Windows. And Microsoft, we, well, we, we we should back up a little bit and tell people that what the the, the news is that Google is formally telling its employees they cannot have Windows nope. any longer. No, nope. and and
0: a new employee is not offered a Windows machine. I don't know what Colleen chose because she's a big Windows
1: fanatic. So,
0: I would guess bet, Linux. Bet, but I don't bet know. she went Linux. Yes. Yeah, I would think.
1: Yeah, uh, so so Linux or Mac, you're you're allowed to choose. Apparently, some employees are allowed to keep Windows on laptops, but not on their main desktop machines. Google is saying this is a consequence of the continuing security problems with Windows. Um, Microsoft has blogged that, you know, like not happily that uh, they disagree with this from a philosophical standpoint. That, you know, Microsoft is saying... Now, wait a minute, let's take a look at the history here. You know, we're doing a lot to improve security and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you'd expect something back from them. And I don't disagree that finally Microsoft is truly getting a clue. Um, they have hurt the world, however, by taking as long as they have to do so. I mean, it really seems like they, Microsoft was dragged kicking and screaming Into better, you know, into doing a better job with security. Apparently, Colleen tweeted
0: that she's using uh, Ubuntu ten point oh four, which is Lucid Links, the newest Ubuntu, which I, by the way, love, and I think that was a good choice on her part.
1: Yeah. Uh, Even though I'm a Mac fanatic. So. So I I... have one notes from the field, and then we'll get into our Q and A. Great. Um, this is from someone who asked to be anonymous for reasons I, that everyone will know shortly. He said, uh, "He said regarding Security Now 249 on cars and plugins, the vehicle ECU remote attack." Steve, I've been listening to Security Now since the early days, and I think you're doing a good job of explaining basic tech concepts in a very easy to understand way. I don't always agree with you, but I do respect your opinions. Mostly, I don't agree with you about doing everything in assembler. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> you're not you're not insisting on that, <laughs> and he's certainly no, and he's certainly not alone. Um, I'm not saying every everyone should use it. I'm just saying I do, and and I'm sticking with it. He said I mainly work in C or C plus plus, and I share a lot of code with other developers, which I think makes assembler impractical. Um, in SN two forty nine, here we go. You talked about vehicle ECUs being susceptible to attack. Right. But you said that this was not a major issue yet, because current attacks require physical access to the vehicle. Well, Steve, I've got some bad news for you. You know how a lot of the security exploits in web browsers are not in the browsers themselves, but in plugins and extensions? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Well, these days, cars got plugins too. I work... ...as a real-time software developer... ...and also do electronics design for a small company... ...that develops aftermarket fleet management systems for vehicles. Our units are installed in many thousands of vehicles around the world... ...including military vehicles, police cruisers, buses, trucks... ...heavy construction equipment and, of course, many passenger cars. These units are GPS-equipped... And are using GPRS, the cellular packet radio system, to send data in real time back to the server. This data includes the vehicle location, mechanical data such as engine condition, speed, RPM, current gear, etc. And physical data such as hard braking events and even hard turns and accelerations. We have an onboard accelerometer for that. Just to break for a second. So clearly what they're doing is they're, they're creating an add-on system for sort of monitoring the way vehicles are being driven out in the field in addition to you know, where they are moment to moment and so forth. So he says, until about a year ago, our units were designed as passive monitors that were just listening to the communication channel. Between the vehicle ECUs on CAN bus, CAN bus, or J seventeen oh eight lines. We then interpreted the data and extracted information like the RPM speed and engine temperature. Recently, in order to support a wider range of parameters and vehicles, here it comes, we developed units that are able to transmit on the communication buses and request parameters that are not transmitted periodically by default. So we can see what's happened is where they went from a passive background monitoring mode to an active participatory mode because they needed to stimulate the the equipment on the bus to feed them information that they could no longer... that wasn't available just by sitting there and listening passively. So he continues... This allows us to support the OBD hyphen Roman numeral two standard, whatever that is, clearly some open vehicle thing, which is a request based protocol that is implemented in all cars that were made after 2001. We also use it to request extra parameters on J1939 data buses on heavy vehicles. While we were developing this system, we had a few incidents where, (laughs) where wrong data was sent to the vehicle and we did encounter some interesting results ranging from nothing at all to a vehicle engine shutting down and refusing to start and the dashboard lighting up like a Christmas tree. We now have quite a significant install base of these kinds of units. And we did have one incident where an employee sent the wrong configuration Ooh. to a number of units mm. in the field, causing a few trucks to refuse to start. That was fortunately solved by sending the correct configuration to the affected units. Now, we do try to build our units robustly, but security was never a concern for management. And was always treated as a non-issue. And thus was not allocated any developmental resources. The unit's communication with the server is not encrypted. And probably cannot be strongly encrypted because of the very low-end yeah. $5 to $10 CPUs that are used in these units. These CPUs were selected for both low power consumption and low cost consideration. We know GSM is practically broken, making eavesdropping on the communication channel possible. The communication protocol would probably take a while for an attacker to reverse engineer, but should be possible. And I should know, as I've been reverse engineering communication protocols between engine ECUs for quite some time, and I've gotten quite good at it. An attacker, given resources it doesn't have to be the NSA by any means, could probably remotely disable vehicles equipped with our system or any similar one, or even cause the system to transmit arbitrary data of his choice onto the vehicle data bus. Thus, I'm pretty sure that the same commands that were sent during the research you mentioned, such as the command to disable the brakes, can be sent remotely by an attacker who took control of a unit such as the one our company makes. Now, that would make what we what used to be a local exploit into a fully practical remote exploit. Hmm. I'm not sure what can be done about this at this point as our company and probably most of our competitors try to get more features into the market as fast as possible without much concern or even any understanding of the security implications. For the automotive industry today, security isn't even an afterthought. It's never thought. The people that are making the decisions usually don't have the knowledge to assess the security implications and are also reluctant to listen to the ones who do, labeling them as alarmists or paranoid. I do try to bring up those issues from time to time, but I'm not going to risk my job over it. As you have foretold, I'm pretty sure that these issues will surface in a few years and make headlines. Only when that occurs will both vehicle manufacturers and aftermarket equipment companies be forced to address the issues. But I'm afraid it would take a few years and a lot of bad press to see any change. Now, Steve, feel free to contact me if you want any more information, but if you decide to discuss this on the show or on your website, I would appreciate if you would leave my name and any details that could identify me out of it. As it would not take much to trace this information back to me, this is a very small industry, and as I said, I do like my job. (laughs) Name withheld by request. (laughs) Wow. Yep. That's an interesting story. Wow. And does it surprise any listener of this podcast that this is the nature? I mean, anyone who's been paying attention for the five years we've been doing this Mm -hmm. and following along, I mean, you would guess all of this, if you hadn't just heard it from someone who actually knows. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, this is the nature of security and it's the nature of the way our systems are still being developed even today. We need to learn the hard way, unfortunately.
0: Every time I get in the car now, I look at my OBD2 port
1: <laughs> just to make sure there's nothing on it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, dear. That's scary. Steve, we've got some great questions for you, and uh, we got about an hour left in the show, so we're going to get through them as quick as we can. Great. Uh, some, wonderful, some wonderful stuff, as always. Before we do that, though, I do want to mention our good friends at audible.com who make this show possible. Audible is a great bookstore, an online bookstore of audiobooks, 75,000 titles. They play on 500 different devices, including all the Apple devices. I have just downloaded and installed... The beta of the Android—I'm very excited about that. Getting very good reviews. It's still in beta, but that means it's soon to be available. Um, the Zoom, the Kindle—if you go—if you go to Audible.com, you can click on the Device Center link right at the top there, and it will tell you—you know—all the different devices that this will play on from all the different manufacturers. You can then listen to incredible literature, great. Books, lectures, radio shows, even newspapers and magazines read out loud to you so that you can read those times when you just can't hold a book. And I was saying yesterday, this has really brought back liter- literature for me. It's really brought back. I don't I'm busy. I don't have time to I wish I did to sit down and read. And when I do finally get in bed and and try to open a book, it's like I'm out. So now when I go to the gym, when I drive carpool, when I commute, if I commute, which I don't anymore, I listen to Audible books, and I get an hour reading done a day. Let me tell you, an hour a day, you're going to read a couple of books a month. Now, I'm going to get you that first book free, and I've got a recommendation since I know many of you listen to science fiction. I'm a big fan of Philip K. Dick. And I think one of his most, now some of his stuff is pretty inaccessible and difficult. Of course, he is the science fiction author who wrote the um, to Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which was the inspiration for Blade Runner. He wrote the Minority Report, inspiration for Minority Report. Uh, many other classic movies because this guy has brilliant ideas. But sometimes his writing, because partly because it comes from the, I think, the 50s or the 60s, but partly because he was so out there, can be a little challenging. This is, I think, his most accessible and a wonderful book. The Man in the High Castle raises all sorts of interesting issues What if the U.S. had lost World War II? In this book, the Germans have the east side of the country, the Japanese have the west, and it takes place in San Francisco. Slavery is illegal. It's 1962. It's a very, slavery is legal, I should say. It's a very interesting Hugo Award-winning novel, and you can get this absolutely free. And I think science fiction is a good way to dip into Audible.com if you like the genre, because... Uh, It's so engaging. You start listening and you are sucked in. You are sucked in. But let me tell you, if you start browsing the science fiction collection, you'll see there is a huge amount of not only Philip K. Dick, but Ursula K. Le Guin, and by the way, brand new, the Isaac Asimov Foundation Trilogy. I can go on and on and on. It is a wonderful way to recover those great stories from your youth listen to them again or if you've never listened to them listen to them for the first time audible.com and go to audiblepodcast.com/security now to get your first book free you'll sign up for the gold account that's a book a month first one's free you can cancel it anytime but that book will always be yours to keep i'm going to go home today and listen to my first audible book on my new uh, sprint evo i'm very excited i also have the nexus one i'm
1: putting them on both are the are the Asimov robot novels? Audible? Uh, novel? Well, they're short like, stories. Like yes,
0: they are. Absolutely, K- I robot. K- no, no.
1: Caves uh, K- 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 of Steel. Ah, oh, let me check. Because they... that's oh, those the the the. Let me check. Robot novels are spectacular. I think Caves of Steel is the first of several. See, I uh, you you got me. There's quite a bit of Asimov.
0: They've been recording all of this like crazy. There are 27 Asimov novels on here. So, I would be willing to bet caves of steel is on here, but let me just check i don't know that's a great question. Browse away at, to your heart's content pebble in the sky like stars like dust. I robot the naked sun, the robots of dawn.
1: yes, caves
0: of steel unabridged
1: seven would, hours forty three minutes if, if our listeners want a recommendation for an Asimov a fantastic Asimov mystery uh, he does these he, did, he just did a, a series with uh, R Daniel. Uh, was the robot's name who paired up with a human detective and oh yeah, uh, just spectacular novel. I am adding
0: it to my wish list. This is another great thing about Audible. You you find a good book, you just add it to your list, and then you're going to have that to uh, listen to the next time. podcast dot com slash Security Now. We thank them for their support of the Security Now show. All right, Steve, are you ready? Q and A time. Let's go. Let me open up my questions and start with. Numero uno. Where where is it? Where did I put it? Dan in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He's asking about HTTPS instead of HTTP. Steve, after hearing stories uh, such as Google capturing data that was sent in the clear via Wi-Fi and ISPs performing deep packet inspection on customers' traffic, I was wondering why we don't all move to a system that allows all Internet traffic to be encrypted. Couldn't HTTP be deprecated in favor of HTTPS, mail sent using SSL, etc.? I realize not everyone would want to buy an SSL cert for their personal website, but maybe we could have two levels of SSL certification. First, a free cert that allows the website and the visitor to encrypt data but not necessarily verify the identity of the website owner. The second level, the traditional SSL cert with encryption and verification that the owner of the website is who he or she says Here she is. Is there any technical reason why you couldn't do this? Nearly every Internet-capable device sold within the last five years can handle SSL certs, right? I personally would love to see ISPs become merely a dumb pipe, transmitting data but having no idea what the data is. Thanks for the great podcast, Dan. Well, great minds think alike because we talked about this, didn't we, Steve?
1: Yeah, um, well... Okay, so in general, we're certainly seeing a, a movement in the direction of more use of encryption. And, and it would be nice if at some point in the future we figure out how to do this. But it turns out we can't at the moment. Um, the, the reason SSL works is that it provides both encryption and authentication and that's the the authentication part is what dan is is really the, the the focus of dan's question it's what he he left out of the equation because without without authentication then you have the problem of impersonation and that means that man in the middle attacks are uh, are completely possible no way to detect or stop them the point being that it is it's because you have an authentifi- an authenticated certificate being offered by the remote server that is signed by someone you trust, the, the certificate authority. That's what prevents a man in the middle from being able to splice into an SSL connection. Essentially, you connect to the man in the middle, the man in the middle connects to the server, and and... You see an SSL connection, but in the middle it's been decrypted and then re-encrypted. And meanwhile, the man in the middle can see everything in the clear. It's certainly the case that if that if we were only trying to protect mistaken eavesdropping like what Google did, then sure, you could just have sort of an in-the-clear exchange of a cryptographic key and use that to encrypt the traffic so that passive eavesdropping would would be thwarted, but you wouldn't get any any verifiable security, which is what SSL gives us. And I worry a little bit if people might not think that was all they needed. That is, you know, sort of saying, oh, look, I've got, what do I have? Sort of a half a padlock or <laughs> something. I don't even know how you would show it. But, but so th- the reason... We just can't sort of have like a universal free cert is then then the bad guy would have one and could easily intercept your traffic, which you think is encrypted when in fact it wouldn't be. Um, I've, I've thought about this a lot as it happens, because, for example, my, uh, this CryptoLink product that I'll be working on next doesn't use SSL, doesn't use certificates and is much stronger than SSL. Um, because I mean, it really obeys a TNO, a trust no one model. Remember that with SSL, you're trusting the certificate authority. So it's not that you're trusting no one; you are trusting someone. It is it is possible to set up a true TNO system, trust no one, and that's what I'm I'm designing with CryptoLink. That even goes beyond SSL in terms of of absolutely not trusting anyone. It can be done but it can't be done in a in a uniform open internet where where attackers have the same knowledge that everybody else does because then they can impersonate one of the endpoints there's just no way around that so unfortunately we're not there there I can't see a solution today for what Dan suggests you 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 have to have some information which is not known to the attacker in order to thwart man in the middle, and that requires something like a a PKI, a public key infrastructure, such as we have now, with with chains of of trust and 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 trusted roots of some sort.
0: So you're saying, well, but, but the guy who just wants encryption, I mean, it doesn't have to always be verification. You're saying the man in the middle even means that encryption is no good. Well, it, it means that that
1: you can't. You, you you could have encryption, but you couldn't
0: verify you cou- that you were talking to this person you thought you were talking to.
1: Correct. With. And so so the idea would be that you could say okay, casual eavesdropping would be thwarted. Google would have caught nothing but pseudo random noise, but your ISP could still spy on you by by replacing the cert. Exactly. I see. It's 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 analogous to what we've seen corporations do right. where they where they put their own cert in their employees' browsers or Opera, which
0: is what Opera does with Opera Mini. The mini exactly. And so at that point, you have, yeah, you've got encrypted traffic, but, but whoever is on the other end may not be the person you think it is. And they, are, of course, are decrypting because they have the other key.
1: Well, the way to say it is you have encryption, but no privacy. Right. You have no guarantee of privacy. Right. You know, and Google so like what...
0: is now offering, I think this is very interesting, HTTPS search. Yes. So. It's...
1: So what that means is that. That it's no longer e- e- so the the things you search on and the links you click on are no longer eavesdroppable casually,
0: but an that, ISP could still break it. Well, and Google has it all. Yeah, so but I like, mean nobody
1: yeah, else got it. But, but yeah, Google, Google obviously,
0: did. if if the search is to work, Google needs to know what you're searching for. You can't you can't hide the search from Google, but but you can't even hide the search from your ISP. I, people always say, "Oh well, how could you? You don't trust Facebook. How could you trust Google?" And I always say, "Well, the person you really." Our trusting is your ISP, who sees everything.
1: Well, now, go, go, your ISP would not see your search terms. Unless they, would not, they broke the cert. Do, did that man in the middle with the cert? Uh, but they can't. Oh, um, they can't. Yeah, the, the, the ISP is unable to unless you've agreed, you, you've you implicitly agreed to allow that by accepting a, 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 um, a root certificate from them. You could verify
0: that it wasn't Google then. Correct. I mean, if you checked, you would say, oh, it's not Google. Yes. In the um, same way, that if you use Opera Mini and you use the HTTPS search in Opera Mini, yes, Opera Mini is intercepting it,
1: but it won't – the cert won't say Google. It will say Opera. Right. Now, what your ISP would see is the links you click on. So, you know, so they wouldn't see your Google search request nor the page that Google returned. But when you then clicked on links, right. then unless those were SSL links – well, they wouldn't see the content, but your i s p would know where you were going they have to that's remember that that's not encryptable right where you're going you know your computer makes d n s requests saying what's the i p for this for for this server and the i p s are to known destinations so an i s p even if every if the world were s s l they would still know who you were and where you went right. they just wouldn't know what you said. <laughs>
0: It's very interesting stuff, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah. Question
0: uh, two. Actually, three. No, two. Uh, Gary Robinson in, now this is a good one, Mockerfeld, Ireland. Mockerfeld, Macher, Ireland. Asks a question. What happens after arbitrary code execution? <laughs> hey, Stephen and Leo. Thanks for the great show in Security Now, especially the Ground Up Computer Principles series. I've been listening for just over a year now, and I finally caught up on all 250-plus episodes. Leo's right. I'd much rather listen to podcasts during my hour-and-a-half daily drive than the same boring thing on radio. That's true. That's, that's our plan, anyway, our evil plan. I have a question about what happens after a bad guy has found a vulnerability in an application and gets that arbitrary code to run. Based on your descriptions of this subject bad guy uses some buffer overflow or some other vulnerability to get the arbitrary code into memory, causes the program counter to jump to that arbitrary code instead of returning to the previous function, or however else they've corrupted the program counter. When the bad guy's arbitrary code finishes, does the application crash? Is the bad guy smart enough to populate the arbitrary code with the correct return address so the application continues as normal? If If the app will always crash after arbitrary code execution, isn't that a good indicator for us to know something bad may have just happened? I know it could be hard to tell this application crash apart from the other standard common application crashes, but might be one way you could kind of be aware that something may have gone wrong. We should run some diagnostic to a virus checker before going to that banking site. I would be delighted to know what you think on this. Please keep up the good work on security now.
1: Gary. I thought it was a great question because we've absolutely not even once discussed that we've talked that about is, the mechanics of it but
0: not what happens afterwards
1: yeah exactly and the answer is we don't know well uh, couldn't they it, just push the return code on the stack precisely i love the fact that in his question he was talking about the program counter and setting it to something and, and you're exactly right leo it may very well be that the attack that the attack could look like a subroutine right in which case if it was clever, I mean, if it deliberately wanted not to crash the application, it could push the the p- current program counter on the stack, immediately push any registers it was going to modify on the stack, do whatever nefarious things it wants to do, and then, just like a subroutine, pop the registers off the stack that have been modified and do a return instruction... Which will continue just like nothing happened. That's in fact exactly how a subroutine works. That's a subroutine. Now, in in practice, it's more often the case that, the, that whatever function was trying to execute fails. Um, that may be the whole app crashing, um, as, as Gary suggests. Or it may be that, like, you know, edit copy doesn't work. Uh, that's a bad example because <laughs> edit copy often doesn't work uh, for other reasons. But, um, you know, it, it might be that what you tried to do fails and you kind of think, oh, well, I wonder why that was. Maybe, you know, it's Me, not feeling good today. You'll we'll never know. You will never know. <laughs> so there, there, isn't, there isn't a definitive answer because three things could happen. Nothing at all. The application runs. Meanwhile, something bad happened in the background and you never noticed. Or uh part of the application no longer works but the the rest of the application manages to continue limping along and and can and sort of you know doesn't need to be um uh restarted or the application completely just crashes it disappears from the screen it locks up something bad happens and again i i got a kick out of him saying but you know that happens all the time anyway so would we really know? <laughs> yeah. it's, I would say more likely from what I've seen, it's more, it's more common that the application does die after having achieved the hacker's goal. The hacker is generally much less concerned about, about a smooth exit than they are about getting their stuff to run, figuring exactly as most of us would, oh, well, Big this deal. crashed. You know, i mean I've, I, I it's funny i've sometimes spent hours working in a graphics editor on something and then thought, Oh goodness i haven't saved you know, and then i'll quickly save my work because similarly i've spent hours working on some graphic stuff and then it just disappears from the screen it's like right. why didn't I right. you know, save it so both things happen.
0: And 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 I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the the this this special code only has to execute once. It's it executes to install the Trojan horse, which will then continue to execute normally without crashes. So it's not like you're going to crash all the time. You're going to crash once when the bad guy gets the code injected, and after that, the Trojan will run.
1: Correct. For okay. example, it would it would establish a connection to a remote server which it turns out is very simple to do just a few instructions because Microsoft, in the case of Windows, provides an API for that. Um, Then it would download a block of code, which which allows it to get much more of its own code into your machine. And that code might just might be another process. It would spawn another process with that code in it, which it would then run. And none of that takes up that much space I've looked at shell as it's called shell code which is this kind of stuff that does this and it's you know it's all oh, it's written in assembly language and uh, very tight and doesn't take up much space but by the time the app crashes the the other thing is now running in your system it's it then tends to be a bootstrap. To go and, and get much more code from the remote server, and it just starts shuttling stuff into your computer in the background while you're thinking, huh, I wonder why my word processor just died. Yeah. Oh, I'll just fire it up again and, and hope I saved a copy recently. Wow. Question
0: three from KD Martin in Dallas, Texas. He spends a lot of time gazing at the stars. Subject Tau SETI. The correct pronunciation of this star, pronunciation of this star, is Tau Seti. Seti. I C- say Seti. Yes, I, I do too. Ceti. Okay. It really hurts my ears every time you say Seti. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Didn't mean to hurt your ears. Credentials. I'm a professional astronomer, member of the American Astronomical Society, big sci-fi fan with 10 to the third books. That's 100 books, right? Oh, no, 1,000 books. Since the early 1950s to today. I presume he means reading, not writing. I like your recommendations. I like to hear an entire uh, episode on assembly language, in fact. It's evolution. It's used today. You and I are the only ones I know who use it. (laughs) I sure enjoy your podcast. I heard every episode ever made. You and Leo do a great job. Tao
1: Setai. That's going to be so difficult for me, but I wanted to let our listeners know I have always pronounced it Tao Seti. Why did
0: that come I mean, up? Did every, we mention Tau, Tau Ceti?
1: Ta- everyone pronounces it Tau Ceti. Probably. I mean, i <laughs> I think Gary Gary Pornell pronounces it Tau Ceti, and I guess we're all wrong. It's the closest sun-like star to us, right? So yeah, so it's a frequent target of science fiction. I mean, that's where you want to send your probe, right, to somewhere close, not that's, somewhere. That's where, where they're coming no from. To get to that's yeah. where the,
0: that's where they're coming from.
1: But it's Tau Ceti. S you know, uh, phonetically S E E hyphen T I E C Thai C Thai. Just remember, when
0: you see Thai food, you will love it. You will eat it. How interesting! Yeah, as it must have been somebody's name or something. I will look it up. I will Uh, Wikipedia -er it. (laughs) Thank you, Katie, for correcting us. We always want to say things correctly. I'm listening to a a book, uh, audio book from Audible right now. And there's four mispronounced words, that's all, in the book. But it bugs the hell out of me. I don't like mm. to, you know. And it, and it, and it just, and it, I, I listened to a, a reading of one of my favorite all-time books, George Gilder's Microcosm, which really explains everything that's happening in the techno- technosphere right now. And um, the guy who reads it, it does a great job, except he says, instead of kludge, he says kludge. Ooh, yep. And there's a lot of cludging in this book. <laughs> a lot of cludgery. So I completely understand, Katie. If you know the right pronunciation, yes. and, and we keep saying it wrong with yes. some authority, that's yeah, annoying. We know exactly oh, yeah. Tao City. Of course. Yeah. So, Tao City. Yeah. Si yeah. I was there for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Katie. Lance Reichert in Backwater, New York, wonders about building the Internet. When you address building the net, there's one, which you're going to do in our next uh, fundamentals. Our next big series. There's one aspect of routing. By the way, for our Australian and English users, we're talking about routing, that I hope you'll cover. See, they say routers and, and we say routers. Oh. How routers, routers, choose the path. This is where pronunciation can really bite you. I have a master's in comp sci, and I had to study many aspects of the net, but I never, even though I have a master's, understood the following concept. Suppose I am a router on the net, and I've just received a packet not addressed to any of my hosts. If the destination of that packet is far enough away that it's not in my routing table or routing table, how do I decide which of my neighbor routers to pass it to or routers? Okay. We're going
1: to standardize on the pronunciation of
0: with, <laughs> Am I driving you crazy? <laughs> Let's say routers.
1: <laughs> I think, oh, please. They'll just think we're please. quaint Americans, mispronouncing Besides, he, it. He, he's in backwater, New yeah. York. He, said, so, he probably says routers. I think it's routers, yeah. Um, I love the question. We will absolutely cover it. And I will tease our listeners by saying that there's something known as longest prefix match. Ah. which is the way routers determine where to send the packet when they're not sure. It's the way of getting, it's like, it's sort of like closest match or best match, longest prefix match, and we'll be covering it in detail in the future. It's it's such a great topic. I really look forward to this. Um,
0: I just love it. It's like all the other topics uh, in this series where really smart people
1: put their heads to a really thorny problem and came up with an elegant. And and Leo, I, I it's funny you you just hit it. I was going to say that and I'll probably say it again. Unfortunately, our listeners are going to get a little annoyed with me just just being gaga goo yeah. over the 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 phenomenal design yeah. of of what was originally created. Yes, it's not perfect. Or that should be no. It's not perfect. Anyway, it's not perfect. <laughs> it's got problems. I mean, we know denial of service attacks and spoofing and all this other stuff. But look at what this thing has done. Look at how it's grown. Look how it's survived. Nothing that we have has scaled the way the internet has from its original design. I mean, this it is phenomenal, and and I know why it works the way it does. I I get. It, you know, I've, this, I've spent a lot of time in the last decade really, you know, playing with this stuff. So um, we're going to have a, a great series. And again, I believe our listeners will come away saying, wow, I understand all of it now.
0: Yeah. There's a wonderful book on the wizards of the Internet uh, that was written by um, Katie. Oh, I can't remember her name. Um, it's just a great book on the history of the internet. Who? It's not Bob Metcalf, he did Ethernet. He was Ethernet at Xerox, yes. Uh, it's those original guys at BBN who did all this. I'll, I'll find the name of the book in a second. But we've got another question. Chad Masters, Leavenworth, Indiana. He says, the iPad ain't instant on, Steve. It ain't instant on. I've heard you mention uh, on several episodes now that the iPad is instant on. Hey, instant on means a device can be powered on from a non-powered state and not have to boot an OS before it is ready to surf the net or play a movie, etc. I can understand how you'd think the iPad is instant on. You press the power switch and boom, there it is. However, the iPad in this instance isn't off. It's coming out of standby and not a powered off situation. The iPad never really turns itself off completely without either A, the battery dying, or B, you pressing and holding the power switch for more than three seconds, and then you slide the switch to power off button and that switches the entire unit off. Now, it has to boot when you turn it on, and that takes, in my, it takes about a, a minute or no, about half a minute to do in mine. Uh, now, I will contend that for most uses, the device is instant-on. However, it is not an instant-on device in the truest definition. Saying it is, I believe, is disingenuous. No, come on. <laughs> and perhaps merely an overstatement on your part. Could you please connect yourself, uh, correct yourself on the air so as not to mislead your listeners? Now he's being a little
1: picky. Stand, I stand
0: corrected. Yeah, I mean it's actually, powering up now. I'll give you. We'll let it. We'll yeah, watch it happen.
1: I do. I do know that. And if uh, I mentioned this two recent blog postings of mine, the uh, the first one I, I uh, was the uh, the obvious genius of iPad. Mm-hmm. The second one is uh, pads are next, and in those. I explicitly talk about there, now coming, it's on. Out of, coming out of standby quickly. So, yes, I know that they're not instant on. For me, okay, what? Instant use, I guess, is a is a more correct term. Well, here's uh, the point. You don't ever switch it off. Right? right. So,
0: from the purely practical point of view of the user picking it up and using it, it's instant on. It is not technically instant on, but you don't switch it off. I mean, I, when, when do you no, switch it off? Hard,
1: it's hard to switch it off. As he yeah. says, you've got to hold the power button for three seconds. Then you get a scary-looking red slider that says, oh, you know, push me at your own, you know, slide me at your own risk. And, in fact, I became quite adept at this with that first 3G iPad I had, remember, that was locking up all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was you who said, uh-uh, Steve, that should never do that. The good news is the replacement has never misbehaved, not once. Absolutely never. So it is definitely the case that some of them were a little little glitchy uh, coming out of the gate. But uh, the replacement has behaved itself perfectly. So
0: That's kind of part of the reason I do the radio show is because people don't know what normal behavior is necessarily. So sometimes just having a reality check, like, is it supposed to do this? Yeah. Is valuable. Then you say, no, it's not. Take it in. Because it wasn't. And it's fixed. Yeah, absolutely. Molly Wood has a great phrase. She calls it the literal net. She said it drives her crazy. Every once in a while, she'll hear from somebody who's very literal minded because we, you know, we geeks are. Engineers are literal minded. It's, 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 this is the fact. Not that. That's, you know, something else. So the fact is, no, it's not an instant on device. You're absolutely right.
1: Yes. And I, I mean, I absolutely can see Chad saying, wait yes. a minute, you know, you know, do you understand what you're saying? It's like,
0: yes. Right. Okay. I don't I think institute. it's disingenuous. I think what we're saying is, in practice, as, as users use it, it turns itself on the minute you need it. Oh, I'm sorry. I
1: said minute. The second you need it. <laughs> and, and and for what it's worth, it does take like a minute to come out of a, a – to do a full cold boot. Right. You know, you sit there with a, looking at the little silver apple for – it feels like about 60 seconds to me. It takes a while to get going, and, which which is fine because I never do that. You never do it. right? Kate, by the way, it's Katie Hafner,
0: and the book is called Where Wizards Stay Up Late, The Origins of the Internet – highly recommended it is still in print and available on amazon uh if you want if you want to prepare for next week's lecture on the beginnings of the internet it is really it starts with Licklider and goes on from there and it's really fantastic where wizards stay up late i loved it <laughs> moving along to our next question ray sipos or sipos in irvine california wonders about emptying trash from an encrypted folder Steve, I'm a Mac user and I've listened to your show since the beginning. And I've learned much. Thank you for doing it. I purchased Spinrite several months ago, though as of yet I have not had any need for it. I like that. Proactive purchasing. Consider my purchase a sign of support for the work you and Leo do. I hope a Mac version will one day be made available. Don't hold your breath. Next question. If one uses TrueCrypt or Max Disk Utility encryption application to make a container for holding files, what happens to the files when you throw them out? In other words, do I need to do a secure delete of those files? Oh, this is a good question. A or question. are they already encrypted by being held in the encrypted folder, and a normal delete will suffice as they're already unreadable? I've never been able to find information on deleting files from an encrypted container, and I'd like to know. Thanks much. By the way, if I'm ever in the UC Irvine area, Starbucks, I shall buy you a cup. Cheers, Ray. That's
1: great. Now, it's a great question. um, And it's a tricky question. Um, If you delete a file from an encrypted container, which does not have a trash can, that is, where you've configured that drive for non undelete, then it's a safe, secure undelete. And I would recommend that that's. That 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 how is is how people would would set up their system. That is, the problem is if if you have a container which is not a drive, but for example, it looks like an encrypted folder, and you delete a file from that, then it's it's moved into an undelete or in, in, into a deleted location, so that which you know is called the trash can, which you can optionally empty. But in the act of it being pulled out of the encrypted folder, it is decrypted. So for example, if you moved it to your desktop, then deleted it, well, the bits are unencrypted while they're on the desktop. So they're marked as the, 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 that chunk of the disk is marked as available, but it's been unencrypted prior to its being those bits being marked as available. If you delete them in place, then they they're not getting unencrypted before being deleted. So it's a great question, and it really does require that you be careful. So the, the 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 bottom line is, use an encryption system like TrueCrypt does that creates a drive, and in in Windows at least, you're able to to specify which drives have undelete capability. You would want to disable undelete on your true crypt drives so that when you delete something from there, it deletes it in place rather than now. OK, in also in Windows, normally you've got a trash can per drive. So so in Windows, you could the the the, the trash can would be encrypted also. So it's safer. I just don't know what the status is on the Mac. Uh, have you looked at it closely, Leo? Like, like, is there one trash can or is a trash can per drive on on, on the Mac? The
0: Mac works uh, just like Windows does, was it where I believe, now I haven't looked at it in the last version of OS X, but I believe there's, an, there's a hidden trash file in each directory, each, just like okay. Windows does. And, um, you know, the Mac has a secure delete, so you might as well just use it right but
1: uh I th- and secure delete is it writing over yes. the file it has okay.
0: a it has a multiple write secure delete uh and windows you can empty directly right there's a there's a, sh- a shift delete uh
1: is instant but yeah i don't think mac has an instant delete Oh, yes a, right a non-recoverable delete and then you would either want to use that or just configure your true crypt drives not to be undeletable in which case it would mark that space in the true crypt drive as available leaving it encrypted and you'd have a safe right.
0: secure delete right but there is uh, there is on the mac a secure delete so i would just yep. if it, you know use that yep that's a great question. Boy, I yeah. never even thought of that. Because <laughs> you're unencrypting as soon as you're removing it from the encrypted folder. So yeah, Yes, and so if it goes
1: anywhere else, now like it's, into... Now it's clear text. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I don't think... Sh- okay. I'm, troubled to, I'm trying to think if shift-delete is an instant-delete on the Mac. I don't think it is. I think it's only Windows and Linux. Question seven, but we will have to test and return with our answer later. Ben Rexworthy in Bedford, UK, asks for Spinrite licensing clarification. Steve, I've been an avid listener to your podcast for many years now. I've often heard testimonials of SpinRight from listeners saying how they've saved the day. Have you saved the day with relatives and friends, just like our, our uh, emailer earlier today using SpinRight? However, when I looked on your licensing option, it clearly states a single license is for individual end users on one or more of their personally owned machines. It sounds like you're endorsing the use of the product outside of the personal licensing guidelines you have written, my friend. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> the literal net is back. Now, I I'm not going to use it for commercial use, and I don't really want to buy four copies of the software for friends needs help. I, I don't I do understand the need to protect your intellectual property and, and I wouldn't want to break any copyright laws. This is why I'm running to ask, he says. I think there will be others who are also concerned they may be breaking your licensing agreement, and I think it would be good for you to clarify, possibly allowing for two distinct categories, maybe commercial and non commercial, in addition to commercial and non commercial use. Anyhow. Many thanks for the wonderful work you do in educating the public. I've used you as a reference many times. Kind regards, Ben. See, Steve,
1: you're a nice guy. Well, that's the I'm, problem. I think I'm a practical guy. And I, I, one of the things that's always irked me is when you buy a disc utility and it says you can use it on one drive. It's like, oh, come on. right? Who, who's going to buy one of these for every drive they own? And so I immediately, we, we never had that policy. I said, okay, look. If a person buys it they can use it on everything they own. Um if a corporation buys it, I ask them to buy 4 copies and then they can use it on all the computers the corporation owns, a the so-called go. site license. For individuals though, I mean, yes, I would just ask you to use your best judgment. Um I mean, I'm it we're basing this on trust anyway because Spinright has no activation nonsense or copy protection or installation lock or any of that I hate all that stuff. I always wonder, Leo, like when I you know, when I use a program where I have to activate it, what happens when that company goes out of business? Right.
0: Well it just, it's happened. Yes. It's happened. Or activation servers are down, suddenly you got something you can't use. That's yeah, it pisses the hell off me.
1: Yeah. Especially for a product like SpinRite where it's an emergency recovery tool. So anyway, there's none of that. And so I just I trust my users rather than not trust them, and I would say, if someone you care about is in trouble, fix their problem. Right. You you fix fix use Spinrite to fix their problem with my blessing. And if they're destitute and you know can't buy their own copy, fine. I you know I'm then I didn't lose a sale anyway, and I'm, the world is a better place because SpinRight was able to help them. Maybe they'll refer someone to to SpinRight. Who you know can buy a copy? So I think that's really sensible.
0: I'm sure a you know, lawyer listening would say, "Oh, oh you're just you're ruining the whole purpose of the license." But anyway, yeah. I think that's the sensible. That's like a you have what's called a reasonable human being licensing point of view.
1: <laughs> it's <just, I>, it <laughs> just just not done sense. in the industry. <laughs> and so yeah, so uh, for our listeners who have been neat enough to buy SpinRight, I. I thank them all the time. It does make it possible for me to to dream about getting going on CryptoLink, which I <laughs> I intend to do, and uh, and and continue supporting SpinRight. So, yeah, you just use your best judgment. I appreciate when people say, "Hey, I know that I've sold copies of SpinRight because I fixed other com- people's computers, and they've been so impressed with it, they bought their own." I, I, you know, that's there's no nothing better than word of mouth marketing. I couldn't ask for anything better right. than that. And the flip side is, hey. If you, you know, if you fix someone's machine and they don't buy one, well, fine. You know, I I say it's all working out. It is time, Steve, for our last question of the
0: week. It is the insecure hotel Wi-Fi horror story of the week. (laughs) I need an echo chamber and some scary music. Maybe I can borrow it from uh, the Gizwiz. Hi, Steve. Love the show. This is uh, Scott in Winters, California. Uh, short Wi-Fi security story, he says. This weekend, I stayed at a nice hotel at Lake Tahoe. Wi-Fi was open, no encryption, no password. This is very common, especially smaller uh, how hotels. How friendly, too. Yeah. 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 No. while waiting for CryptoLink, I tunneled all my traffic through my own SSH connection through my sec- for my own security. If you're smart enough to set up your own SSH tunnel, I think, yeah. you're, I think you're good. I think you're golden. However, the hotel's office computers... Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> oh boy we're all on that network and using the same wi-fi i could see the office desktop c drive and other drives being shared with all sorts of data Eek! this is another story of insecure wi-fi and open business machines happening right now now NetBIOS is not routable but that's the thing if you're on the wi-fi if you're on the same network it doesn't need to be routable right you could those, those are shares they're visible
1: Correct. Wi Fi is like a hub. And if I mean if Jeez. this company I know <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I mean Wi Fi is an Ethernet hub. Yeah. Where, you know, everyone can hear everything <sighs> that all the machines transact. Oh so this resort hotel
0: in Lake Tahoe. And now their- everybody knows, by the way, so I'm sure there's somebody headed over right now.
1: Oh, goodness. <laughs> I, I hope, hope I, 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 and we know that none of, no one who works there in management listens to this podcast. So there's no, way, right. no way they would have their, you know, their administrative machines on using Wi-Fi. I mean, my goodness, wire those machines down to the Wi-Fi hub instead of having them themselves be out on the network. It's just horrifying to think that you know there's the the C drive let's, of the machine. Let's give them open. some
0: advice. What uh, if they got a wired router
1: now and uh, use that and
0: attach the Wi-Fi router for the guests? Would that be sufficient? Well, there's a wire somewhere. I mean, you know,
1: wires came are coming into the hotel. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, so
0: they, so they, uh, so they. Okay, so here's their cable modem or their data. You know, whatever their net, internet access is, that goes into a wired router. Yes, one wire goes to their office. For their systems, wired systems. One goes to the guest Wi-Fi, would that be
1: sufficient or do we have to do a triangle? No, that that would be fine because you're then you're gonna you, there will be a switch isolating Between the office the from I mean, sure, a you know, Uber hacker, you know, goes in, they could still access Data, but not what 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 Scott's talking about. Where you know he, anybody he just, can. It was being offered to him Here. in the same way that you know all this personal information being, was being offered to Google. Well, and see, I don't. You know,
0: the, you could say, "Oh, well, that's the hotel's problem." But the, the problem is probably in those records is every bit of personal information and credit card information about all the guests who are currently and have ever stayed there. So it's also uh, me that they're revealing information about. Yeah, yeah, because it's more than just re- revealing their business. It's revealing potentially uh, their yeah. their customers. Yeah, it's all their credit card information. Yeah, all, oh, stuff. All, I'm all checking it out right now. Guests. That's not okay. Of course, it's kind of kind of revealed anyway. But Steve, some great questions. Of course, as always, great answers. People can find this show uh, online. You can download. it. In fact, if you go to twit.tv/sn. This is kind of our, our standard for all of our shows. We have a list there of all the RSS feeds because there's 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 at least three now. There's a audio version. There's a large video and a small video version. And you can subscribe to those, and it will work on almost any device that can subscribe to podcasts, podcast feeds. Steve does – goes us one better. You can go to grc.com slash security now, and he has not only the 64-kilobit version – but he's got a really squoze down sixteen kilobit version for those of you who are bandwidth impaired, or you're on an iPad and you're trying to keep under the two hundred fifty gig, two hundred fifty meg limit. Uh, a couple of podcasts have put you over that, uh, I, you know. So uh, grc com slash security now. He also has transcriptions, which is really nice to have the written version of this, and and they're human transcribed by a real human with a brain, Elaine. So. Uh, You know, they're actually good transcripts. He also has uh, all his show notes and every show going back 251 episodes.
1: And I have to give a shout out to this new daily news podcast of yours, Leo, for our listeners of Security Now. I, I was talking to you about it before we began recording, so it bears repeating. It's fantastic. Thank you. It's Tom Merritt. He
0: calls it Tech News Today. Thank you, because it's coming up this afternoon and every afternoon 5.30 5.30 Eastern, 2.30 Pacific, Monday through Friday. That's 21.30 UTC. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Tom's co-host will be the great Becky Worley, who was my first producer at Tech TV for Screensavers and Call for Help and is ABC's tech reporter and uh, Good Morning America, and she's just great. So Tom and Becky, um, every weekday, as Sarah Lane will join them. Uh, we'll have other co-hosts. Tom, of course, did the great Buzz Out Loud on CNET, and he's really brought his talent his brains his enthusiasm and his skills to uh, twit, and we're so happy to have.
1: Well, you. and it's just it's professional and polished and and interesting. I mean, these 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 are smart people who have a real professional feel to them. When I started watching it, y- you were replaying yesterday's. I guessed. Um, uh, as as we were getting set up, and I thought, I mean, immediately I thought, "Whoa, this is good. <laughs> this is
0: better than Leo's
1: usual crap. <laughs> this is way good."
0: Uh, well, thank you. I'm really I'm really thrilled uh, that we were able to get Tom to join us. Uh, it is number one uh, in podcasts uh, right now. I'm seeing that's pretty on iTunes. Story. On iTunes, that is that is really uh, good news. We're very happy about that. And uh, you can uh, it, it, that's that show is TNT Tech News Today. So you can also um, subscribe to that at the same, the same system, which is twit.tv slash TNT. And uh, there, is, uh, there is audio and video, and uh, you can get that right away. And that, that, that's a variation on my
1: slogan of trust no turtles.
0: Trust, trust no turtles. Yeah. Tech News Today is number one with Tom Merritt. It's number four for the video uh, on the uh, on the podcast so we're really really pleased Tom's done a great job and it's a great show and please watch live at live.twit.tv or subscribe so you can hear it every day and it, it will get you up to it it complements twit perfectly twit is really us get sitting around and talking about what it means but if you want to know what happened every day and get the instant analysis get the instant information Tom does there's nobody better than Tom Merritt tech news today TNT on twit.tv thank you so much for reminding me to plug it i'm not good at plugging Steve, we'll see you uh, next week if people have questions for our next Q&A, which will be two episodes hence. Please go to grc.com slash feedback and ask that question.
1: And I will remind our listeners that I'm now tweeting up a storm. Uh, GRC, uh, just It's uh, Gibson Research. If you want just GRC updates and news and nothing else, uh, sggrc is my personal Twitter account and I'm also talking about pad stuff a lot over on SG Pad, so you can subscribe to all, or one, or two, or whatever you like.
0: That's great. It's really fun to be able to follow Steve Gibson around the clock. And And of of course, the blog, steve.grc.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Leo. On Security Now. Security Now.